we don't try to be anything that we're not. We know we're not Vail. You know, we have a very important role in the ski industry, and that is we create skiers and snowboarders. We feed the West. I mean, if you walk up at Vail and buy a lift ticket, it's $300. You know, our ticket this year is going to be $38. So, you know, why would you take your family out West and teach them to ski? You know, you're going to pay $1,000 just for the instructor. Oh, you got to stay someplace. You got to eat someplace. I mean, who can afford that? There's 100 Midwest ski areas, and that's what we do. We create skiers and snowboarders. Welcome to the storm. I'm your host, Stuart Winchester. Got a good one for you today. Coming straight from the heart of the Midwest. Before we get into South Dakota skiing, a quick request. Do me and yourself a favor and visit stormskiing.com and sign up for the Storm Skiing newsletter. The podcast is great, but it's just a small part of the storm. In fact, the podcast is just a small part of the podcast. There is an article on stormskiing.com that is stuffed with maps, stats, background, and context on this conversation, and on Grey Bear itself. I am also breaking down the world of lift serve skiing all year round with a minimum of 100 articles each year in the Storm Skiing newsletter. And that newsletter will drop straight into your inbox when you subscribe at stormskiing.com. You can also follow the storm on Twitter, Instagram, and threads at Storm Ski Journal. Before we get into Great Bear, a quick note from my partner, Aspenware. Imagine a future where 99% of your mountain products are booked online. Aspenware is the leading e-commerce solution purpose-built for the ski industry. They create customized e-commerce platforms that ensure resort guests spend more time doing what they love and less time standing in lines. Utilizing the team's extensive industry experience, Aspenware strives to make the resort booking process seamless with a mobile-friendly, simplified sales process that anticipates the needs of the guest at every part of their journey. Based in Denver, Colorado, Aspenware stands apart as an innovator. They understand the value that software and technology bring to a mountain resort, and they strive to create solutions so good they seem invisible. Visit Aspenware.com to learn more. Episode 146, Dan Greider, General Manager of Great Bear, South Dakota. Here's a simple fact. There are a lot more ski areas out there than there are people who know how to run ski areas. That's why most years we lose a couple and why the big ski companies keep buying more ski areas. It is a brutal business and one that gets more complex every single year as costs rise and technology rewires our expectations around how we get on the chairlift and what our ski day looks like. And what that means is that just about every surviving independent ski area is going to have a pretty awesome story to tell. A couple of months ago on this podcast, I brought you the story of Laszlo and Danielle Vete, who bought Platykill Mountain in New York in 1993 and have kept the place alive as every other independent ski area around them folded. Around that same time, Dan Greider took the top job at Great Bear. Like Platykill, there was nothing inevitable about Great Bear surviving. But like the Vete's at Platy, 
Grider found a way, slowly but consistently modernizing the ski area and turning it into a gem for the Sioux Falls community. Without Great Bear, the 300,000 or so people in Metro Sioux Falls don't have skiing. With this 182 vertical foot bump, they do. And a big part of the reason they do is the efforts of my guest today. Let's hear it. My guest today has been general manager of Great Bear Ski Valley, South Dakota, since 1992, with three lifts serving 15 trails on a 182-foot vertical drop. Great Bear is the only ski area serving Sioux Falls, the largest city in South Dakota. Dan Greider is my guest. Dan, welcome to the storm. So good to have you. Thank you so much for making the time today. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Stuart. Uh, you know, thanks for having me. You got it. So coming off a really, really great 2022 to 23 ski season at Great Bear, a record season, in fact, with 67,000 skier visits, that shatters your old record of 49,500 skier visits in a single season. What happened, Dan? How, how did you pump things up so much this last season? <laughs> well, you know, it was a perfect storm. You know, you have to make decisions, you know, uh, leading into a ski season and during the ski season. And we didn't make a bad one. Uh, you know, we got very lucky. We had great snow. And when it was time to make snow, um, everything went right. So, uh, yeah, I mean, in, in 2010, 2011, we do 49,500 visits. And, you know, that was incredible. And uh, you know, hitting 67, uh, it just it blew everybody's mind. <laughs> <laughs> to what extent do you think that was just that perfect storm, Dan? And to what extent should you give yourself some credit? And, and, and maybe you've made some operational changes that have set you up for success where you can have this big kind of season. Do you think this was an outlier or do you think you have all the pieces in place to maybe make this more of a regular thing? Well, you know, uh, it, it always comes down to Mother Nature. But uh, over the last four or five years, we've made a lot of changes within our management team, um, within our, our team members. As far as culture goes, uh, we really focus on the guest and employee experience now. And it just kind of all comes together. You know, what we had done, we had planned on opening December 21st. And of course, there again, that's always just dependent on Mother Nature. And as that date approached, um, a big cold front came through. And I said, you know what? Let's not open right now. Let's make snow. So for three days, we pumped about a thousand gallons of water a minute on the hill. And we eventually opened up December 26th with 100% of our runs and tubing lanes open. And we've never done that before. Wow. And then guess what happens? We get a blizzard. Oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and then, you know, 10 days later, we get more snow. And, you know, we weren't getting you know, two, four, two to four inches of snow, we were getting eight to 10. Oh, wow. And it just kind of, that pattern just, you know, hung in there and it just kept going and going with the amount of volume that we did. If we would have done that, you know, six, seven years ago, I don't know if the team would have held up to it. Hmm. Um, you know, it was just, it was so busy. We were so overwhelmed and it went so smooth <laughs> that I'm, I'm just really proud of the team. You know, it's really interesting, Dan, because I talked to a lot of ski area operators and a lot of folks have had a hard time staffing up these last few years since COVID. It sounds like you're not having that problem. Is it something specific to your market around Sioux Falls? Do you think it's something you're doing right? Talk about your success in being able to staff up the mountain to handle that kind of volume. 
Well, you know, the nice thing had been for years and years and years, there were just two full-time employees year-round, myself and uh, Jill Lirdahl. And Jill runs our inside operations. She does all of our events. In the summer, she's our caterer. You know, it was her and I for the longest time. And then about five years ago, uh, Lexi Jerstead, uh, who had been a part-time employee for us, and she actually was working with the local newspaper. Okay. Uh, she came to me and said, hey, Dan, I would like a full-time job here. And I was kind of going, well, geez, okay, that sounds good, but what are you going to do? <laughs> um, but, it, you know, I knew it was a right move. It was an opportunity hire. And, you know, Lexi just took over our, our social media. Uh, she's now our director of uh, communications and our HR director. Uh, so, you know, that piece fell in. And then, um, you know, we've got a guy who was kind of our part-time manager in the rental shop forever. You know, he had a real job in town and the opportunity came about to hire him full-time. And so we brought him in and Brandon now runs the rental shop and he runs our snow sports division. And throughout all these years, our seasonal managers kept coming back. And that was really the big thing is, you know, Brandon would work 60 hours a week in town and then he'd come out and work, you know, 25, 30 hours a week for us. And he'd just come back every year. And our mountain managers would do the same. Um, you know, we'd employ him, you know, very much full time for 90 days, you know, and then they would have to go find another job and then come back in in the winter the following year. So keeping that team together was important. You know, Sioux Falls, you know, the population is about 200,000. I suppose when you talk about the surrounding communities, you know, we're close to 350,000. A lot, you know, we, we hire 200 people a, a year. A lot of them are, are high school kids and college kids. And they like coming out here. They like being part of a, a fun atmosphere. They love the cheap season pass. There's no yeah. doubt about that, <laughs> you know. But, you know, it's just the culture that we've been able to create here. Um, where even the kids that are 14 and 15 years old, I mean, they've never worked any, you know, a job before, uh, they buy in and they contribute to, to the operation and, uh, they keep coming back. So, uh, I think as a team, we're doing the right thing. So you've got a great formula and in fact, it allowed you to stay open. Not only was it your busiest season, but it looks like your longest season. You stayed open into April. I mean, was this just a matter of, blowing enough snow to do it? Did you get kind of lucky with the weather, which sounds like you did on the front end? Does this reflect maybe some snowmaking upgrades you made over the years? What was behind that push into April? Well, you know, we were having such a great season. And, you know, when I saw that, hey, we might be able to get open for just one day in April, which we've never done before. Yeah, we pushed real hard to do that. I mean, it was kind of unique. It was a lot of fun. You know, we made stickers. You know, I skied the bear in April, you know, 2023. So, I mean, the conditions on April 1st weren't the best, but it was spring skiing and we had a blast. But I'll tell you, one thing that was really significant that happened a few years ago is you have to understand that Great Bear is a city park. It's the largest park in Sioux Falls. And uh, Great Bear Management just operates uh, the, the park for the, for the city. Okay. But a lot of the infrastructure goes back to the city. And several years ago, um, we had a water line break uh, mm -hmm. for our snowmaking system. And mm -hmm. it was a supply line. Okay. And at that time, we were able to pump about 450 gallons of water a minute uh, into the pond. 
mm-hmm. uh, our holding pond. And, you know, what you have to keep in mind is that we're taking out when it's really cold about 850 to 900 gallons a minute. So right. you get upside down real fast. Mm-hmm. Well, the water line broke. The city couldn't rep- repair it because it was underneath a river. Mm-hmm. So what they did is they just uh, gave us straight city water, okay. unlimited supply. Amazing. So now, you know, we can pump in 1,200 gallons a minute. Ooh, nice. Um, yeah, a huge difference. So, <laughs> you know, we never had to stop you know, the snowmaking process. You know, when it got cold, we were ready for it. And like I'd mentioned earlier, I mean, three days straight at 1,000 gallons a minute right. of water on the hill is just phenomenal. Yeah. And, yeah, we made a lot of snow <laughs> and it stuck around. And, boom, here we are April 1st and we're still open. <laughs> so it sounds like you're well set up for it. And it sounds like you had a lot of fun. Do you think this is something you'll be shooting for as a tradition, April, or are we going to have to take it year to year? Yeah, it's a year to year thing for sure. You know, uh, as, as I look into the crystal ball for this year, you know, we've got an El Nino set up in the Pacific. Typically, that brings us a little bit drier and warmer conditions here in the uh, in the plains areas. So, you know, we really don't know. Um, This is what I do know is when I first started doing this in the early 90s, you know, we could kind of count on opening right around Thanksgiving, maybe the 1st of December. Mm. And we would stay open until about the 1st of March. Over the years, that open date has been pushed into mid-December. The last couple of years, it's been right at Christmas break, you know, like the 22nd, 21st, something like that. Um, But the season has extended into mid-March. Hmm. So I've seen these these seasonal shifts. And at first I thought I was kind of crazy. Right. But, you know, we're involved with a lot of ski areas in the, in the Midwest, and we've all seen it. So, um, you know, you can, you can debate climate change all you want, you know, as to, you know, what's caused it. But I don't think you can debate the fact that it's happening, mm-hmm. you know, um, and, uh, you know, who knows what's going to happen? I mean, we've seen this extreme weather uh, this year from the heat to the hurricanes to tornadoes. Um, it's a crapshoot anymore. Yeah. <laughs> you know? But the thing is, um, like you had mentioned, when the conditions are right, we have to be ready. And that's what I'm most proud of is that when Mother Nature says go, we go. So I'm curious, Dan, as you push the season opening later and later and you get to that point where you're just hitting the christmas week and a lot of ski areas i'm out east and a lot of ski areas in pennsylvania connecticut they've actually missed christmas week a few times in the last decade from a business point of view how crucial is it for you to hit that week right if you get open a couple weeks early great a lot of folks don't really start thinking about skiing until they either see it in their backyard or they have that holiday break i mean how big of a deal is it to hit that week in particular, as you look at the success of this business long-term? Well, you know, the important thing about hitting, uh, obviously, you know, all the kids are out of school, you know, people are in town traveling, everybody's in a good mood, mm-hmm. but it also sets the momentum for the season. You know, if if we get busy during the holiday break, people said, great, you know, there's snow at Great Bear, let's go skiing, then becomes a habit. You know, if we don't get open till you know, late December, like the 28th, 29th, and miss part of that, you know, we kind of stumble out of the gates then. And and that has happened before. And I can tell you that when, you know, it's mid-December and I haven't made a bunch of snow yet, um, 
I can be hard to be around. <laughs> you know, I get a little bit concerned. So, uh, yeah, it's, you know, I, I always want to get open as soon as we can, but I definitely want to get open for Christmas break. So you have a goal of December 21st opening for 2023. When do you actually start making snow? And if conditions are good enough, will you actually turn that thing open early? Yeah, we'll open up as soon as we can. Um, last year, we started making snow in November. And then we ran into about a 10 to 12, eh, maybe a, a two-week warm spell where we couldn't make any more. But, you know, we'll hire people early early November. And as soon as I see a forecast that gives us, you know, a, you know four or five days of, of nice cold weather, we'll turn them on. Nice. You know, let's go. Yeah. Um, you know, opening uh, with 100% of our runs, like I said earlier, uh, we had never done before last year. Typically... We'll have, you know, three or four runs open, maybe a couple tubing lanes open, and we'll get going that way. And then hopefully by Christmas break, we get everything open. But yeah, when it's, if it gets cold, uh, you know, I get antsy. I want to make snow. So you're coming off a great season and hoping for another good one. Before last season, though, it's kind of started on a downer. Great bear loss, important family member, Roxy. Tell us about Roxy and Roxy's legacy. Oh boy. Uh, Roxy Johnson, um, there again, she was a part-time uh, manager for us. Um, we were just to the point where we were going to be able to bring her on full-time and, um, you know, she had a health issue and she passed away, but, mm, sorry. uh, Ro Roxy was the backbone of our food service. Mm. Um, you know, she was a dear friend of everybody's mind, particularly, um, you know, <laughs> uh, I, our, our history goes back to our dogs. Yeah. Uh, okay. you know, I, I had an, uh, Jack and an English Springer Spaniel years ago. And when I would leave town, you know, Roxy would look after Jack. And then, uh, you know, uh, I got, uh, Jack passed away and we, we picked up two English Springer pups, Chase and Chance. Well, having, you know, 120 pounds worth of dog running around the house was a little bit much. <laughs> So uh, Roxy ended up with Chance, and I have Chase. Okay. Um, and, you know, it, just the bond there. Um, I mean, Roxy, um, I mean, she, her husband, Bill, passed away. She's mm. 15 years ago now. And when he passed away, she promised him that she would, you know, do something good for kids. Okay. And so she got involved in Make-A-Wish. Mm-hmm. And over the, we had our last um, uh, Angels with a Dream. It's a big car show and silent auction and all this stuff. Um, and we did that for 12 years, and that was Roxy's gig. Mm. And I think right now we have granted 17, maybe 18 wishes. Wow. Um, and the last one we did was last last June. That was in memory of Roxy. And, um, you know, she just, she's a nice person you ever want to meet, you know, um, it was just, it was tragic uh, when she passed away. Um, you know, she was kind of raising her granddaughter, um, Brooke, you know, and Brooke had become part of our family as well. So it was a tough time. But, um, you know, when we think about Roxy, we smile. I mean, she was the epitome of, you know, life doesn't uh, determine, you know, who you are. It reveals who you are. And, and that was Roxy. 
Well, Dan, it sounds like a, a big loss for the team. And I have to imagine, as I mentioned in the intro, you've been leading Great Bears since 1992. I have to imagine this long ago transcended the notion of co-workers and became family to you. So take us back here. Did you grow up in the area? Did you grow up skiing Great Bear? Absolutely. Um, Yeah, I I grew up skiing here in the mid-70s. You know, uh, something I fell in love with. Uh, I can remember in 1976, Franz Klammer won the gold medal in the downhill uh, in Innsbruck, Austria. And I remember watching that with my mom. Mm -hmm. And... I just wanted to ski so bad, yeah. you know, and uh, actually my sister started skiing first before I did. Um, my folks had, had separated and my dad wants, wanted something to do with my sister. Uh, so for two years, I had to sit on the sideline, okay. <laughs> you know, before I could finally ski. But but then I could, and um, yeah, it just became part of me. Um, I went to school for a year in, Mon- in Montana in Bozeman. Oh, wow. Um, so that was great. I skied Big Sky and Bridger Bowl for nice. a whole year. Beautiful. Um, probably skied a little bit too much. Uh, <laughs> they didn't ask me to come back for a second year. <laughs> um, but, you know, I came back to, to Sioux Falls and, you know, I, I ended up, uh, you know, graduating from Augustana College. I skied all during the 80s. And then, uh, you know, this great bear thing came around and, uh, you know, I've had an opportunity to give back, and and that's pretty cool. Um, you know, what we like to say here is is you know we're not in the business of selling lift tickets. Uh, we're in the business of selling memories. And um, we were sitting around the office one day trying to come up with you know who we are, what are our values, you know what's our mission. And I reflected back to a Facebook post that my sister made and it was reminding us, she had a picture of me and my mom and my sister in the probably late seventies, going up to Terry Peak, which is out in the Black Hills in Western South Dakota. And I saw that picture and I remember how cold it was that day. And I remembered my K2 244 mid skis. You know, and I remembered the yellow jacket that my mom was wearing and all these memories came flooding back to me. And that's when I realized that we're in the business of selling memories. And, uh, you know, we, we we've hung on to that. And if you think about it, there's not a lot that families can do together anymore. I mean, yeah, we can go watch the dance competitions and we can watch our kids play soccer you know, and do stuff like that. But to do something together as a family, you have to create those, those moments. And, and, uh, and that's what we do. You know, it's, it's been great, you know, for since 1992, you know, I've been, I've been helping uh, people make memories. I mean, who better to help folks make memories than someone who has memories of that place for their entire life. I mean, take us back here, Dan, what was Great Bear like in the seventies. And then if you can just take us on this journey, what was it like when you took over the general manager position in 1992 and, and, and then what, how has it evolved today? Yeah. Uh, it was rough back in the seventies, <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, snowmaking wasn't anything like it is today. Right. Um, you know, the Hill was, you know, typically real icy. I mean, the snow that you could make was real wet, um, it would freeze into ice. The grooming equipment wasn't anything like it is now. 
you know, back in the in the day when I was uh, learning out here, uh, we didn't have any chairlifts. Uh, they were all rope toes, you know, and it was just, uh, you know, I can remember that in our parking lot, you know, and that's to the north of us. And predominantly we get north, northwest winds in the winter here. Uh, well, in the parking lot at the time, it was a sand operation for the city. Oh, wow. And when they'd sand the streets. So what would happen is the north wind all winter long would blow that sand right onto the hill. Oh, wow. <laughs> and, and by about mid-February, you know, you were skiing on a lot of gravel and sand. It was almost like you were getting a base grind. Oh, my you skiing on the hill. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> um, so, you know, then I, you know, I go to college. Um, I come back and they've installed a chairlift. Okay. Uh, we had a, a, a Borvig quad uh, chairlift. And, um, you know, the area kind of made its way through the eighties, eighties, the snow was no good. That was winters were warm. And actually the area went through a series of ownership changes. And it, it was kind of ironic that in the mid eighties, our family business was a sandwich business. We had 10 operations in town and we got into concession work, and namely with uh, the city golf course, uh, Elmwood Golf Course. We got the concession contract for that in 1987. Later on, we did the uh, the local zoo as well. So we ended up with sandwich stores and diners and catering and all this stuff. Well, in 87, um, a friend of my father's uh, was part of the ownership team at Great Bear. And uh, he, he said, hey, Dan, uh, would you be interested in running the concession at Great Bear for us? And, and so dad kind of looks at it and he says, ah, yeah, I don't think we can make any money at this. <laughs> so, so we passed on it. Um, in 1991, we started selling off our businesses. Okay. And I bought a location. Mm -hmm. And uh, lo and behold, the area was looking for a new owner. And they couldn't find anybody that wanted to do it. Mm-hmm. So the ownership team at, the, uh, at that time uh, got with the city because it always been city property mm -hmm. and said, hey, what do you think about forming a partnership here? Mm -hmm. And, you know, we'll, we'll teach you guys how to operate this area for a couple of years and then it'll be yours. Mm -hmm. So the parks department said, OK, you know, we'll, we'll give that a shot, uh, but we need a concessionaire. Right. And by this time, I'm on my own yeah. um, after we'd sold the stores. And the park director at the time remembered me from Elmwood Golf Course doing that concession. Mm -hmm. And he says, gets a hold of me and says, Dan, would you be interested in the uh, in running the concession operation here at Great Bear? Mm -hmm. And so I looked at the numbers and, you know, I, I said to my dad, I said, hey, dad, this Great Bear thing's coming back. And he says, uh -huh. ah, Danny, yeah, we looked at that. You can't make any money at it. And I said, dad, I'm, I'm looking at the numbers here. Mm -hmm. You know, their food cost is running about 65%. Their beer cost is about 75%. There is stuff going out the back door. Mm -hmm. Okay. <laughs> you know? Okay. Okay. And, and so I, I bid it and I got it. Nice. And, uh, you know, uh, you know, they said, well, since you're here all the time, would you mind managing it too? And I said, oh, sure. That's fine. Whatever. <laughs> and it's a typical ski business uh, story. Once you get sucked in, you can't get out. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and it's been uh, it's been a heck of a ride. Um, you know, uh, we got involved with the Midwest Ski Areas Association, you know, which has just been a phenomenal uh, learning group for us. Um, you know, when the when the city first, you know, got involved in this, their parks mechanic, Pete Litterdahl, Joe's husband, they just threw the keys at him and said, hey, go see if you can operate this chairlift. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> 
and uh and he did so it's been pete and i hand in hand since you know the early 90s on this um but the guy's phenomenal i mean he's one of the best lift mechanics i know he's still a city employee you know he doesn't have to come in at you know four o'clock in the morning to fix the the piston bully when it's broke but he does right um you know this does this place doesn't operate without him Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's just been so special to work with him. So what ends up happening in the late 90s, 97, we still have this partnership going on and it's working pretty well. And, you know, we say to the city, you know what, maybe we should expand this area. And so we went out and raised a million and a half dollars. The city matched it. Okay. Uh, we built a, a half pipe. Mm-hmm. We built a, a tubing hill. Mm-hmm. We built a new bunny hill. And we added on to the chalet. The chalet was about 8,000 square foot. We added another 6,000 to it. And, uh, you know, boom, it worked. Um, But I can remember that first project got done in 2000. Yeah. And that first Christmas break, it was a bluebird day, just beautiful, fresh snow. The hill is packed, the chalet is packed, and I'm walking around going, this place isn't big enough. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> you know we're five days into the new chalet and i'm saying right. it's not big enough. <laughs> is it still the same size oh yeah it's still not big enough <laughs> so i mean 1992 that was a long time ago and i'm sure you feel it but there must have been something keeping you there i mean you experienced the big time you lived in montana you know what's out there in, in big sky and bridger bowl and all these other places What's kept you there, Dan? I mean, is it the fact that you grew up there and that sense of community? Is, is it just a sense of stewardship? I and mean, what has kept you a great bear for 31 years now? <laughs> um, I love it. Yeah. You know, um, I have other businesses that I operate in Sioux Falls. Mm-hmm. Um, so I am tied to the area. But, um, you know, the generations that I've seen come through this place, I mean, you know, I, I meet these kids when they're six or seven years old. Yeah. Um, I watch them grow up. Then they come to work for me. Mm-hmm. Then they go to college. Then they come back. They get married. They bring their kids out here. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've seen this generationally for, for 30 some odd years. And the kids keep me young. I mean, I'm 60 years old now. Um, and yeah, I get tired of winter a little bit. You know, I like to go play golf and it's kind of hard for me to bust out in January to go play golf. Right. But it's just, I mean, you see the smiles on people's faces and, you know, I'm kind of known in the community now, you know, they say that everybody gets their 15 minutes of fame in their life. You know, I get mine 15 minutes of fame once a year, Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> do a lot of television and things like that. Right, right. But, you know, it's humbling uh, to see people come back and, and just enjoy the product that you put out for them. Um, it's rewarding. You know, my my run is coming to an end. You know, I, I've got you know kind of a four or five year plan. And then, you know, it's I'm going to have to turn it over to the next generation. And, you know, <laughs> you know, at first the question was, well, what what's Grape Air going to look like without Dan? Right. And I think the bigger question is, what is Dan going to look like without Gray Bear? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I'll always be involved in it. But um, the joy that I have, you know, it's like opening a new business every year. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. I get stoked. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And, you know, that first chair up, you know, we've got a tradition and what we, what we do with that. And it's so fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I've had both my knees replaced. I've had my back fused. So I don't ski as much as I used to. But on the occasion when, when everything's perfect, and that's the nice thing about working at a ski area, you can ski whenever you want. Right. So <laughs> why ski on a cruddy day, you know? <laughs> um, but, you know, I'll get out there and it all comes rushing back. And it's, it's just fun. I have to imagine that part of that, Dan, is there's nothing else like Great Bear in Sioux Falls or, or really anywhere near there. I mean, the closest other ski areas are more than two hours away. You have Mount Creston in Iowa. You have Mount Cato in Minnesota. I mean, the fact of the reality is if Great Bear wasn't there, probably most people in Sioux Falls just wouldn't ski. Just speak a little bit to that relationship between Great Bear as this very unique asset for this big city that isn't necessarily close to a lot of other stuff, but it does have a ski area and that's pretty special. Well, it, it is. And, you know, when you look at the bigger picture, the quality of life in Sioux Falls in, in our, our community, parks is everything. I mean, there's close to 80 parks now uh, in Sioux Falls and we're a very unique park. Um, you know, we're, we're a ski area, but we're more than just a ski area, you know, and we've got hiking trails and we, host weddings and receptions and business outings and all this kind of different uh, activities. And so we're part of the fabric of the community. Um, you know, I can remember reading edit- editorials uh, in the newspaper about how, you know, when you come to, uh, to Sioux Falls and you discover there's this little ski area there, how cool that is, yeah. you know, and, and, and people that move uh, out here from, from the West or the East that have been skiers and they say, wow, you got a skier. It's not real big, but you know what? It's a ski area. Yeah, that's right. Uh, you know, it's very cool. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and, you know, and, and to that point, you know, we don't try to be anything that we're not, we know we're not veil. Um, you know, we are who we are. We do what we do. You know, we have a very important role in the ski industry, and that is we create skiers and snowboarders. We feed the West. Uh, we feed the East Coast and all those big areas. Um, I mean, if you walk up today at Vail and buy a lift ticket, it's three hundred dollars. Yeah, you know, cool. if you don't take yeah. advantage of any discounts, I mean, that's crazy. Right. Uh, you know, our ticket this year is going to be thirty-eight dollars. Unreal. So, you know, why would you take your family out west and teach them to ski? You know, you're going to pay $1,000 just for the instructor. Right. You know, 250 bucks probably for a lift ticket. Yeah. Um, oh, you got to stay someplace. You got to eat someplace. I mean, who can afford that? Right. <laughs> you know? So, uh, yeah, I mean, there's 100 Midwest ski areas, and that's what we do. You know what? We, we create skiers and snowboarders. In particular, Dan, talk about your relationship with the local schools. You have these great programs like Fifth Grade Fridays. How proactively do you work with those schools to make sure that kids at least know they have the opportunity to learn how to ski growing up in Sioux Falls? Yeah, the uh, the Fifth Grade Friday program, you know, was just a stroke of genius by our team. Every year, you know, we go to a, a trade show and conference um, in the Midwest here. And I always ask people to you know bring something back. You know, come on, let, let, let's come up with something. So I challenged the team many years ago. I said, you know, what can we do? And we were sitting in a meeting and with the National Ski Year Association, and they identified, 
you know, the right age to get somebody involved in skiing and snowboarding. And they identified it as that 11 to 12 years old. Okay. That's a fifth grader. Mm-hmm. And so we're sitting around here thinking, you know, why don't we come up with a, a, a Friday program? We'll call it fifth grade Fridays, you know, um, $5 fifth grade Fridays. So for five bucks, a fifth grader could get a lift ticket, a rental and a lesson. Right. And they could ski all night, Friday night. Nice. And, you know, it's kind of like the McDonald's thing. If you can get them hooked early, you got them for life. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and and so, you know, the kids had come through the program. And, of course, we would, I, you know, capture all their data. Um, and so next year for our preseason sale, we offered them a discount, mm-hmm. you know, 15% discount off their lift ticket, off the already discounted season pass, actually. And believe it or not, Every year, about 10 to 15% of our preseason sales go to the previous year's fifth grade Friday kids. That's amazing. Um, and in fact, it got so popular that we had to expand the program into Tuesdays as well. Cool. Um, I mean, it was, we were so busy, we were running out of rental equipment. <laughs> um, so, you know, there's that. But then there's also, you know, our tubing area. And, and you know, tubing accounts for 45% of our visits. Wow. It's it's very popular. You know, it's you don't have to learn anything. You don't have to invest <laughs> in a thousand dollar pair of skis or anything like that. Right. I mean, if you can sit, you can too. Um, <laughs> but we've exposed a, a lot of the school age children to Great Bear through that tubing hill. Mm-hmm. Um, let's face it. You've got, you know, a percentage of, of the school age kids, you know, are, you know, uh, disadvantaged as far as financially. Mm-hmm. And they can't afford to come out to Great Bear. Right. But we have enough people in the community. We have an endowment fund nice. that I can draw money from where I can cover the cost for the kids to come out tubing for an afternoon. And that's extremely popular. And, and you know, that tubing hill, I mean, that's extreme, man. It's, it, yeah. it's steep. <laughs> Is it? But it's so great when, yeah. when you, you pull into the parking lot and you just hear the kids screaming on the way down. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it's awesome. Yeah. It's he, just awesome. It's a blast. You know, Great Bear owned by the city and you said you have an endowment. I'm, I'm curious how this operates. I've seen it both ways. You have Gunstock, which is owned by Belknap County out in New Hampshire. And that ski area has gotten to a point where it's profitable and it actually pays the county a portion of its revenues each year. On the other end, you have Eagle Crest up in Juneau, Alaska. That's owned by the city and they would like to get the profitability. They're not quite there. The city still subsidizes their operation. What can you tell us about where Great Bear sits as far as being a self-sustaining entity? Is this a business that makes money? Is it a business that the city kicks in to make sure that everyone has that opportunity to ski? What can you tell us about that business relationship and how that operates? Well, it's pretty unique. What happened um, back in 1991-92 when this partnership was formed, we gifted the city everything. The chairlift, the snow guns, the, the cat. Um, the building, the only thing that we own to this day is the office equipment, mm-hmm. the computers and mm-hmm. rental equipment. Okay. Um, everything else is owned by the city and what has, what has made us affordable to everybody. And that was our key goal when we formed this partnership is we wanted it to be affordable to everybody is we make the initial investment. We being great bear management Inc. So for instance, I'll go out and, um, I'll buy a snow gun, you know, $32,000. I'm going to gift it to the city. The city then puts it on their books 
And when its useful life is over, they'll replace it. Mm, okay. And it's like that with the cats, you know, $400,000, yeah. you know, you're seven, 10 years into it and time for a new cat right. city bids it out. Mm. Um, we replaced our chairlift a couple of years ago. The city put in $1.6 million to that. I took care of everything else. Nice. Um, you know, it was about 400,000. Uh, are we profitable? We are. The nice thing about our profitability is there's no owner here. Right. So the money just stays in the bank. That's great. Right now, our savings account is pretty nice. We had a great year last year, obviously, with all those visits. Mm -hmm. The city does commit five people to the area every year. Mm, okay. um, so there's one guy who's going to be our maintenance guy. That's mm -hmm. Pete. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then we got four guys that are responsible for grooming the hill, doing some maintenance, and then working with our overnight snowmakers. Otherwise, we don't get any subsidies. Uh, we don't pay rent. Uh, you know, it just works out the best for everybody. And where we're at now is we're looking at developing the area further. You know, we, we work with a group called Snow Engineering uh, from out east. And in 2013, they came out here and did a, did a study. We were working on our tubing hill. And they figured that on a busy Saturday, we were operating at 175% capacity. Wow. Yeah, wow. busy. Yeah. <laughs> and it hasn't changed. Right. <laughs> so... You know, we are currently in the midst of working with the Parks Department on developing a new master plan. Mm -hmm. And I have, uh, I, we have identified an additional seven acres of terrain that we can develop, probably get five or six runs out of there, uh, put in a new chairlift, mm -hmm. obviously uh, more snowmaking. Um, that would be very exciting. In addition, we've got to do something with the chalet. And, and we know it. It's just, I mean, it's so overcrowded. And... You know, the, the new terrain looks like that's going to be around a four to four and a half million dollar deal. Okay. Um, hopefully we're very close to getting the go ahead with the city on that. I've got a meeting next week um, uh, on that as well. Actually, it's later this week, as a matter nice. of fact. Probably on a Monday morning. Yeah, right. Um, and then, of course, we have to talk about the chalet and what are we going to do? Are we just going to blow it up? I mean, the chalet's been added on to so many times. Right. You know, it's a typical Midwestern ski area. You just kind of add on and add on yeah. and add on. Right. To be honest, I would be in favor of just raising the whole facility and starting all over from scratch. And if that means that we would have to operate out of food trucks and trailers for a season, I think everybody could live with that when they see the new chalet going up. But that's that's going to be a big ask. I mean, that you're talking in excess of, of $10 million easy. Right. Wow. Um, so where that falls, I'm not sure. But everybody agrees it needs to be done. And so I guess that's the first right step. My board of directors is very much behind it. You know, the Parks Department has identified the need. Um, the mayor is supportive of our expansion. The city council is. So we've got a lot of people on our side. But of course, there's always a lot of people asking for a lot of money from the city. Yeah. You know, so where do you fall in line there? Right. So let's talk about that expansion for a moment here, Dan. In relation to the current trail map, where would that new terrain be? And what kind of terrain is it, like uh, difficulty-wise? Well, we're kind of interesting in the fact that, you know, the main hill at Great Bear is actually a blue-labeled run. You know, there's not a lot of green runs out here outside of the Bunny Hill. And when we first started scouting around for some additional terrain, I was trying to look for something between our bunny hill and our main hill okay. because that, that, that 
progression from the bunny hill and a conveyor lift to the main hill and the chairlift is pretty steep. Right. And I was looking for something in the middle. Well, when you go to the top of our bunny hill, okay. uh, which is kind of faces southeast, if you go a little bit more south and east back there, there's some nice terrain that we can develop, a nice little fall line. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, it's it's a, a bit more like our main hill than the bunny hill. And I was trying to avoid that. But uh, there's some great tree skiing back there. Okay. Um, you know, the chairlift is going to be able to run pretty much, you know, northeast. Uh, we're going to be able to connect the main hill runs to that area. So you'd be able to access that new area from the main hill or from the top of the bunny hill. You just go to the top of the bunny hill and ski down to the chairlift. Okay. So that's uh, that that's pretty cool. And like I said, that that's something that is real doable right now. Uh, I think financially uh, we're able to pull this off. We just, like I said, got to get the, the go-ahead from the city. That's something I want to get done before I leave for sure. So would that be between the bunny hill and the tubing? Is it up off the back of the bunny hill? Yeah, it's, it, would be, it would be off the back of the bunny hill. Okay. Um, you know, people get kind of twisted around when they come into Great Bear. Yeah. Uh, the way to look at it is our chairlift pretty much runs north-south. Right. So that's the orientation. So the, the, the tubing hill is on the north end of, of our skiable acreage. Uh, and then everything else is on the south end. And the bunny hill is kind of on the east side of it. So we kind of run southeast from the from the top of the bunny hill, and then the lift would it be off the back then, and folks would load somewhere down there, or would the new lift load down by the current chalet and go up? No, the new lift would. Um, you know, we've got our retention pond that you can see there, and the new lift would be, you know, further east on that on that retention pond. I mean, obviously, okay. it'd be up a little bit. But when you go to the top of our existing hill and you come down, um, kind of the backside, we got a we got a run that's called the Dead Man's Curve. Okay. Yep. yep. <laughs> um, what we'd be able to do is extend instead of taking that curve, you could just go right over the top of it, and we'd create a land bridge over the pond, mm, okay. and boom, it would dump you out right at the base of the lift. Okay. So that that's kind of where that would be. Um, you know, it's probably going to be maybe 150 yards from the top of the uh, bunny hill. Obviously, you would go down a little bit. Yep. Um, so it, it's accessible. It's, it's easy to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, what would the vertical drop be over there, Dan? Uh, you know, there again, you know, right now we're at 182. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to be less than that. You're probably more, you know, maybe 100 and a quarter, something like that. Um, you know, just not as long. You know, our, our current hill is about 900 feet long, so that's where we get all the vertical. Right. All the vertical 182 feet. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's actually pretty amazing because I think that a lot of folks probably saw this podcast pop up in their feed and said, South Dakota, like what? Because, you know, my last three podcasts before this were Killington, Keystone and Snowbird. So it, I think most folks think of South Dakota as being totally flat. Obviously, anyone who's been out to the Black Hills and, and as you mentioned, Terry Peak earlier knows that's really mountainous area. But, you know, you're in eastern South Dakota. So talk about that land. I, I saw that it used to be a gravel pit. Is this an old riverbank from the Big Sioux River that runs nearby? Well, how, did you, how do you even get, I think 182 feet is great for South Dakota. So, so talk a little bit about that piece of land that you're built on and how that's possible. Yeah, very unique piece of land here. Great Bear is all, it's all glacial till. 
the last glacier period, uh, I think it was Wisconsin era, glaciers, you know, carved out, uh, you know, from North Dakota, uh, South Dakota, Minnesota, Iowa, Nebraska, all the way down, these glaciers just carved out all these features. And when the glaciers receded, well, all that glacial till was left behind. And it's called a Los mountain range. And it it's, uh, really kind of starts in our area here in South Dakota, uh, very predominant as you go through uh, western Iowa um, and then down into Missouri. And there, it's kind of unique uh, geography in the world. There's not a whole lot of these type of glacial till deposits. I know there's a bunch in China, but that's what's created all the, this I wouldn't call it a mountain by any stretch, but <laughs> the hilly terrain, it's all gravel. Hence, you know, at one point, the city sand mine operation was right, right here. Okay. And we are surrounded by industry here because of all that sand. It's great for construction. And, you know, we're, we've kind of had to fight to hang on to our property um, <laughs> because it's valuable. Right. You know, and, and we're getting, uh, you know, there's been development all around us. But, uh, yeah, it's 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 very unique. Um, we've got uh, on the property and, you know, our park is 220 acres. We've got a very unique bur oak forest, uh, unique to the area that, you know, one day we'd like to have mountain bike trails going through. You know, we're doing everything we can to, to try to acquire that land. It's just, uh, it's it's almost like our own little central park in South yeah. Dakota. That's beautiful. I mean, to that end, as you look at this expansion, do you already own the land that you'd like to expand onto? Is the acquisition part of this project? No, we do own the land. Yeah, it's it's right there. You know, and it kind of intermingles with our with our hiking trails. There's a lot of talk and some planning now on getting bike trails out here. So uh, those would be incorporated. Um, and that's all just on property. Um, heck, we've got an archery range on the north end of the property. Oh, nice. Minnehaha County archers, oh, cool. you know, uh, are up there. So it's quite a large park, but we would like to get more and just kind of create a buffer from all the industrialization that's going on in this end of town. I, you know, I'm looking at your parking lot right now on Google Maps, Dan, and it seems like there's a big sort of grassy area next to it. Is that Do you park cars on that grassy part on peak days? Do you have enough parking capacity for an expansion or do you have to look at expanding your lot as well? Yeah, we're going to expand the lot as well. Yeah, right now we got parking for about 400. And, you know, there are occasions where, you know, you got to park on the entryway and, and things like that. But we absolutely have eyeballed that area for additional parking. And in fact, when you look at what we want to do with the chalet, you know, right now the chalet is kind of the hub of the wheel. Mm-hmm. It's really hard to expand it because, you know, we're just boxed in everywhere. Right. But if we were to, say, build a new chalet to the west of the existing chalet, mm-hmm. and that's kind of where our entrance road is, we could redevelop the entrance to come into the back of the parking lot. Mm-hmm. We could then level part of that sandy or grassy area, which is just sand, um, and create more parking there as well. So, uh, you know, and one other thing that we'd like to do, we'd like to put in an ice rink. Oh, cool. You know, a temperature controlled ice rink. I mean, how cool would that be? Yeah, that's neat. I mean, we could make this park just, you know, something that you just don't see in the Midwest. Um, the, The potential is there. So lots of big things planned. As you look at that expansion, Dan, what sort of lift are you thinking about back there? Do you think another quad? Yeah, it would be a quad or triple. 
you know, we, we put the SkyTrack lift in a couple of years ago. It's fantastic. Um, we would definitely do another SkyTrack. And really, the upcharge from a triple to a quad really isn't that much. You know, so uh, we would probably go with a quad. We just have to see where the bids come in. What's your timeline here? Optimistically, I realize you just mentioned you're waiting on some city approvals. I know there's always a lot going on, especially when you're dealing with a public owned entity. But if if things were to go your way and, and you said you're on a five year plan, you want to get this done. When do you think that you could start work on this and ultimately open it for skiing? Well, it would be, uh, let's say uh, on the 25th, my meeting here with, with Parks, they say, OK, let's do it. You know, uh, we, the city, we're going to fund, you know, a third of it. So that sets things into motion for us. We've got to start fundraising. When we did the fu- the fundraising in 1997, you know, that took about three years from when we started fundraising to when we opened up the chalet. So that's kind of what you're looking at. Getting things done within five years would be my goal. Things don't always operate as smoothly and as quickly as I would like when you're talking about the municipality. Right, right. <laughs> But, um, you know, there, there's so much support for all sorts of activities in Sioux Falls. I mean, we feel pretty comfortable with being able to say, hey, you know, we can uh, we can fundraise. We've got a pretty good uh, savings account going right now from from our last year's profits. Um, so we will be able to contribute. Uh, I mean, heck, when we uh, when we did the chairlift and I had to come up with a four hundred thousand to finish the job. I didn't have to borrow any money. You know, we we took it right up operations. You know, we were having a great season. And yeah, the the COVID years were something else for us. Um, You know, for the entire industry, it was about the only thing that you could do. Right. You know, (laughs) and, uh, you know, the the entire industry just had a banner year. It was difficult operating. Um, You know, South Dakota was a little bit different than most states where the, the, uh, the governor did not shut us down. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the mayor put in a mask mandate. Um, I don't ever want to be the mask police again. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, um, you know, you go back to, are we profitable? Well, we're not profitable. Like, you know, you're making millions of dollars a year, yeah. but we can hold our own. And I, I think the city sees the, the wisdom of investing in outdoor recreation. And, uh, and that's what we are. I mean, you're doing well enough to have put in a brand new SkyTrack lift, which you mentioned in 2021, a brand new SkyTrack quad. You know, I'm from the Midwest. I ski a lot in the Midwest. And the thing I always tell folks about the Midwest is you're going to see some old lifts there. There are a lot of machines running from the 60s, from the 70s, a lot of old halls, a lot of old riblets, because chairlifts are very expensive and these tend to be small family run operations. And a chairlift is a big, big expenditure. As you mentioned, 1.5 million is, is what the city kicked in. You did so about a $2 million project. How big of a deal was that for a little municipal ski area like Great Bear to be able to get a brand new quad? It was everything. That Borvig lift that we had, I mean, that was a tank. I mean, it, it was a um, it was a big old heavy machine. They put it in in 1980. You know, you can run a chairlift forever as long as you maintain it. And, and Pete was phenomenal with that. I mean, he could keep that thing running. The down uh, side of that chairlift was it's a quad chair with a, a middle stem. So mm-hmm. you actually yeah. had two seats on one side of the stem and two seats on the other. And it was very difficult to load. You know, people be bouncing off that stem. 
you you get two people on the right side of the stem, one on the left, so now the chair is not balanced right. Um, and, and it was a heavy chair. Those chairs each weighed about 250 pounds a piece. And boy, I tell you what, if that person bumping chairs didn't hold it just right for you, <laughs> your calves would have a tough day. <laughs> um, and then the unload, uh, when, when, they, when they originally engineered it, they didn't engineer the unload correctly, and it was very steep. And so you had, you, you would get clogged up loading the lift, and you get clogged up unloading the lift. Right. You know, so it was just a bad experience. So, you know, it used to be that, you know, I'd pull in the parking lot on a Saturday. Parking lot's full. I mean, it just jammed. And I look up at the hill. There's nobody on the hill. Okay. They're all waiting in line someplace. Oh, all right, all right. <laughs> In fact, it was funny when Snow E came out in, in 2013 and they're saying, well, you're running at 175% capacity and all this. And the gal that was working uh, with us, Claire, she came up with a funny little line. She says, welcome to Great Bear. The line starts here. <laughs> <laughs> so that was the before. I mean, what's the after look like and how happy are you with that Skytrack? It sounds like you really like it. Oh, yeah. It's, you know, now the hill is balanced. You know, yeah, there still might be a long lift line, but the chair doesn't stop nearly as often. So you got people on the hill now. So it just is so much more efficient. Um, it's so much easier for the the beginners and the young kids to load the chair now. Uh, there's a restraining bar, you know, so it's safer. You know, and it's brand new technology. I mean, geez, I mean, it's a, it's a big computer. You know, um, I don't have any idea how to run the darn thing. <laughs> you know, but Pete does. <laughs> so you have that lift, but you're not relying solely on that. You also have, and many mid-bus ski areas have this, and I think it's brilliant. You have a rope tow running, not quite parallel, but sort of adjacent that serves your terrain park. And for folks who aren't familiar with Great Bear, the quad goes right up the middle. And then lookers right, you have a big terrain park, the Grizzly Terrain Park, and then Lookers right of that. You have a rope to a serving that. How much does that help just keep the pressure off the chairlift to have that little zone where the kids, the park kids can just go and lap and lap and lap off the toe? It's everything. You know, when we first, originally we had a handle toe up there mm-hmm. and, you know, we're always looking at other ski areas and we went over, went to Bloomington, Minnesota, mm-hmm. Highland Hills, oh, yeah. and they've got <laughs> these high speed ropes. Yeah. And, you know, once school lets out, I mean, there's 200 kids on that rope, and they never stop. Right. And I said, man, we got to get one of those. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, then what we didn't do correctly with it is we didn't staff it on a regular basis. We do it on the weekends for sure uh, to help take pressure off the lift, but we didn't always staff it during the weekdays. And we finally got that corrected. I hired some train park managers last year. You know, we staff that every day from, you know, four o'clock till eight o'clock. Nice. Um, and then the weekends, of course, from 9 a.m. to 10 p.m. And yeah, they just make laps. It's everything. I mean, the, the train park is a very, very important part of our operation and really all operations in the Midwest anymore. You know, Trollhagen, uh, you know, in Wisconsin, fabulous terrain park. You know, it, it's just I mean, you you have to create all these different opportunities for people from the tubing to the terrain park to skiing and snowboarding. Yeah, you just do everything and anything you can. Yeah, those high-speed rope toes are just phenomenal. And not only 
with how fast they move skiers, but also with just how cost effective they are. I mean, what can you tell us, Dan? You just outlined how much it costs to put in that new SkyTrack. In comparison, how affordable and how easy was that high speed rope tow to install? I think uh, when it was all said and done, it was about 50 grand. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> there's simple little things, you know, there's not much to them. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it kind of harkens back to when I grew up out here at Great Bear. You know, all we had was high speed rope toes. Right. And, um, you know, I, I mean, <laughs> the stories about that old rope toe, oh my gosh. Uh, <laughs> yeah, there was. I, you ever know who Mary Hart is? She's on Entertainment Tonight. I uh, know, but go ahead. Okay. Well, yeah, she was an, she was a student at Augustana uh-huh. uh, in, in town here, uh-huh. and me and my buddies one one uh, one afternoon are on top of the hill, and and there's a rope that comes up to the top of the hill. It kind of makes a turn and goes up. Mm-hmm. Well, she got her scarf wrapped around it, Ooh. and uh-huh. uh, yeah, she uh, she started getting dragged up by her. Oh neck. no! Oh, and my, me and my buddies are watching the whole thing, and and uh, this this guy jay dodge who ran the local ski shop just came out of nowhere and and hit the stop gate just oh. in time to um but yeah they had to take that scarf off with a, oh with a fingernail clipper <laughs> so yeah you know it's the, the stories of rope toes those are going back in the day but uh, <laughs> but you know you, you learn from all that stuff though too you learn you know what to do and what not to do you learn to sell gov glove protectors so your gloves don't get all chewed up you know uh, it's something else Uh, what's the potential for rope toes at great bear i mean it looks like you're kind of maxed out on space right now but as part of that new expansion do you think there's room for a second one on that side of the hill you know i don't think there is to be honest with you i i think just by putting that lift in there that i mean the nice thing about doing that is you know just because say you know right now we've got 20 usable acres okay um, five of that is the tubing hill. The rest is skiing and snowboarding. Mm-hmm. So if we add another six or seven acres, uh, that doesn't mean that our visits are going to go up by 50%. Right. Um, we think that what it will do is it will spread the crowds out okay. a little bit. And maybe instead of, you know, the season pass holders, you know, skiing until 1130, 12 o'clock when it gets real busy, maybe they'll stick around till two o'clock. Right. Because we spread out the crowd. So, yeah, I, I don't really see another um, uh, rope toe in there, but I, I think the lift will, will be suffice to uh, to handle all the crowds. Yeah, the, and the rope toes, the way that the park kids use them, and they're able to just kind of swoop down and grab it mid-flight, which is super cool to watch. It's a lot different than asking a beginner to use one. And you do have this nice carpet over here on your children's dental center beginner area kind of a curious name for a trail is that a, a sponsored area and, and are you at, are looking to add more carpets eventually at great bear yeah that that goes back to the expansion in 97 okay. uh we raised one and a half million through a local uh chamber of commerce appeals drive but yeah we've got all sorts of, i mean i'll sell anything yeah <laughs> <laughs> but we do, we've got all sorts of different names out here for runs and you know where, where the, the, the shop is that's the bowden bully barn yeah, I'm not afraid of sponsorships, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, we put that conveyor in over on the um, on the Bunny Hill uh, with that expansion. Um, originally, on our tubing facility, we had another handle tow. Um, we converted that over to a conveyor as well. Those conveyors are great, just for someone who has not been to a ski area before. You know, it's intimidating looking at a chairlift. The high speed rope. You know, what do I do with this? Yeah. But if I can just stand on something and it takes me to the top. 
That's great. Uh, you know, you've mentioned tubing several times. Is there an opportunity to expand that? Because it seems like the folks will eat up as much capacity as you'll give them over there. Yeah, there really isn't too much more we can do. We've, we've like most uh, ski areas who open up a tubing park, they build it and then they renovate it. Okay. <laughs> and that's what we did too. Uh, originally, we just had four lanes. Now we have 12 lanes. You know, we just bought a different piece of grooming equipment that can make narrower lanes. But, you know, what we have done is we have prime times uh, on the weekends and holidays. We're open, you know, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, Friday, Saturday, Sunday on the Tubing Hill. On prime times, we limit the amount of inventory, lift tickets uh, that we have available. And what we'll do is, uh, you know, we'll create sessions where we got a nine to 12.30 session, a one to five session, and then a 5.30 to close session. And we will limit the inventory so it doesn't get overcrowded. And it's kind of like a, almost like a Disneyland idea. We don't sell an express ticket, but, uh, you know, that way we've got capacity for 300 on that tubing hill, but you got a lot of people waiting in line then. So we knock it down to about 250 or so, and it seems to, to work pretty well. So it sounds like you have no shortage of customers. Nonetheless, your products have all stayed super affordable. You mentioned that Vail lift tickets for a walk-up price are approaching $300 this year. Your season pass for Great Bear for the 2023 to 24 ski season is on sale right now, and we're recording this on September 25th, for just $265. Talk about your pricing philosophy, Dan, and how you come up with that rate and why you're committed to keeping them so affordable for the community. Well, you know, when we started this partnership, the lift tickets were $12 for a kid, 14 for an adult. One of the first things that I did, it never made sense to me to discount the kids because that's all your market. That's, those, that's our, I mean, that, those are our customers. You know, it costs just as much for me to operate a lift for them than it does an adult. So the first thing I did is we had a one lift ticket price. We're kind of mm-hmm. unique that way. Right. Um, and it's like I said, it started at twelve dollars and now we're up to thirty eight dollars. Um, the reason we raised uh, a three dollar increase this year uh, was because we raised wages 17 percent for all our team members. So when we are in front of the city council and they're allocating their their capital improvements budget and there's a four hundred thousand dollar price tag for a new piece of grooming equipment that gets people's attention. So. Our philosophy has been, hey, the community is spending a lot of money. The city is spending a lot of money on this. I don't want to gouge people. You know, I, I want them to come out and use this, knowing that, well, hey, you know, the city just kicked in $1.6 million for that chairlift. Right. Well, you know, I'm not going to, if I had to pay for it all myself, then you're going to have a $50 chairlift or a $50 lift ticket. Right. But because of our relationship with the, with the city, uh, we're able to keep it affordable and accessible to everybody. That's terrific. And, and you have a really cool benefit for season pass holders, which is from Sundays from 6 to 8.30, the mountain is open just for them. How did you come up with this benefit? And how much do your season pass holders love that? Oh, it's, it's fabulous. You know, and that comes back to, you know, we started doing that last year. You know, we're working with a with an outside firm called 5-4, and they're the ones that have helped us on our culture and our values and our mission. And, uh, you know, the customer experience is everything. 
you know, I'm sitting there one day, I'm, I'm working out on the treadmill and I'm thinking, I'm listening to this audio book about customer experience. And I said, you know what? We need a mascot. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <Okay. laughs> so we got Flurry the mascot. Okay, cool. Um, you know, uh, what else can we do for our season pass holders to make them feel special? Because a lot of them are bailing out at noon when it gets so busy. And so Lexi and the team came up with, well, why don't we just have a season pass and employee only session on Sunday evenings? Nice. <laughs> Fantastic. You know, uh, it goes back to, you know, the, the guest experience. How can we improve that? And, and that's, that's our goal. That's our mission. I mean, uh, our vision is to inspire great memories. Um, our mission is to provide fun and meaningful experiences. Our values are, you know, let's be adaptable, communicate, uh, respectful, and, and teamwork. Uh, that's what we're about. So what does that experience look like if season pass holders come up at six on Sunday? Do they typically ski onto the lift conditions? Is it still pretty busy? What does that little special window for them look like? What we do is we clear the hill around 530, quarter to six. Okay. And so we get everybody off the hill and then it's just season pass holders and employees. Do we get a couple people that poach it? Yeah, you know, that's going to happen. But by and large, you know, people are very respectful of what we're trying to create. And the season pass holders love it. They feel special. And that's what I want. Yeah. Are you still on uh, Wicket tickets there? Do you have RFID yet? <laughs> we're still Wicket tickets. Okay. Uh, that's, you know, we're, we're, as, we, as we speak, uh, we're going to have to replace our POS system. Um, we're on, I want to sign that contract by February 1st and implement it next spring. And that has been a hot topic amongst the team members. RFID. I'm not, you know, our particular operation and size, I'm not a big fan of the RFID. You know, it costs a lot of money and it's not going to save you any labor because you still have to have people at the gates. That's right. Okay. You know, you gather a lot of data. I mean, that's great. Right. Um, but, you know, let's remember who we are. We're not Vale. We're Great Bear. Um, you know, and, and to me, the reason I like what we do, and we, you know, we require a season pass holder to get a, a, a day ticket as well. Um, that way I can keep track of all the numbers, you know, because that's what I base all my budgets on is, is hard numbers. How many visits do we have? Um, so, yeah, I'm a little old school mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> in, in that in that sense. Uh, the next generation can deal with however they want. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love the Wicked tickets. I love the nostalgia of it. So I'm always happy to go to the Midwest and collect a few. You know, another cool benefit, Dan, for your season pass holders is four buddy passes, which essentially are four free lift tickets. As you look at growing the sport and growing your customer base, how important has that benefit been to you know, the 12-year-old kid who's got a season pass and his buddy doesn't ski, but he wants to bring him and, you know, you don't have any money when you're that age. Just building it up that way by having your best customers bring potential new customers. Yeah, it's everything. I mean, they love it. Um, and, and we go even a step beyond that. For every 30 hours that uh, a team member works out here, they'll get an ambassador pass. Oh, cool. Same concept. You know, our existing, you know, skiers, snowboarders, and team members are our best ambassador for the sport. So, hey, you know, you're working in the rental shop, you're working 30 hours a week, whatever, you get an ambassador pass, bring your brother out, you know, bring your girlfriend out. So, yeah, it's, I mean, that's real important. I mean, uh, you know, you go back to fifth grade Friday, what's the right age to get to people? You know, 11 to 12 years old. Once you got them, you got them hooked. 
So it's all about growing the sport. Tell us about your mascot, Dan. I missed that in doing in prepping for this podcast. What's your mascot and how did you come up with it? <laughs> uh, it's a great story. Um, okay, Sioux Falls has a, uh, a USHL hockey team, the Stampede. We've got uh, not quite minor league baseball, but you know, we've got a base, professional baseball team. And they've got, of course, their mascots, but they also have Little Stomp and, and Little Peep. And I know who that kid is, and his mother's out here all the time. And I thought, you know what? Nick would be a perfect mascot for us. So I get, I get a hold of uh, his mom, Angela, and say, hey, you know, I got this great idea. You know, Nick could be our mascot. And she says, oh, I love it. And so we went and got this, uh, you know, a costume design for him. Uh, we had a contest as to what we were going to name him. And so he's a, he looks like our logo. He's blue. He's got the big happy bear face. He's got a flannel shirt on. Uh, and on the back of it, it says flurry. Nice. And the, the amount of pictures and photos he's been in. I mean, he goes tubing with the kids all the time. They love it. That's amazing. <laughs> you know, and, and Nick's a great skier too. Right. I mean, right. you know, it's fantastic. So, uh, and, and, and the real neat thing about Nick is that's what he wants to do for a living. There's actually, you know, an industry with these professional mascots. Um, he's already in the Mascot Hall of Fame. Uh, he's been to all the professional venues. You know, it's cool. I mean, it's really a, a neat deal. <laughs> well, it's a lot of fun. Uh, so l- last thing for you here today, Dan, is we've seen the rise of multi-mountain passes over the past several years. A bunch of ski areas in the Midwest, including in neighboring Minnesota and Terry Peak out on the other side of South Dakota are on the Indy Pass. Curious if you've considered joining this coalition. If you did, your season pass holders would have access to a discounted Indy Pass where they could go take a little road trip out west or out east or throughout the Midwest. Is this something you've looked at? Yeah, we've definitely looked at it. I mean, the Icon Pass, the Indy Pass, you know, uh, all everything, you know, you know, bounces off the Epic Pass, you know, from Vail. But um, we haven't quite pulled the trigger on it yet. We do have a lot of sister areas that honor our season passes, Mm, you know, either for a free lift ticket or a discounted lift ticket. I think we've got 14 partners in the Midwest. So we do offer that for the season pass holders. You know, are we going to get into the Icon Pass? Uh, You know, I don't know. We'll see how, where we go with it. You know, it's, there's a lot of opportunity out there. And, uh, you know, we just take it a, a year at a time and, I would imagine at some point we'll be involved in that. All right, Dan, with that, I'll let you go. I appreciate your time today. Really, really cool operation, really cool story, really great legacy you've built there. I wish you the best of luck with what's maybe your last five years. We'll see. Uh, And with this expansion project. So thanks for sharing all that with us today. I really appreciate it. Well, thanks for having me, Stuart. That's Dan Greider, General Manager of Great Bear, South Dakota. That was so good, Dan. I hope you all enjoyed that. Let me let you in on something here. The episodes with the Big Mountain leaders don't necessarily score that many more downloads than the conversations with the small mountain managers. And you can see why after listening to that. You need to have a specialized set of skills to successfully run a ski area. And one of those skills is the ability to have a good conversation. Dan, you just crushed it. Thank you all very much for listening. I've got more coming for you, Midwest. 
interviews with the leaders of Cascade, Wisconsin, Lutzen, Minnesota, Snow River, Michigan, and Buck Hill, Minnesota. Don't worry though, Big Mountain Bro, I've got some red meat for you as well. North Star, Park City, Schweitzer, Mount Rose, and Big Sky are all on deck. The very best way to get those episodes the moment they are live is to visit stormskiing.com and to subscribe to the Storm Skiing newsletter. New pods appear in your email box several hours before syncing with the podcast services, including Apple and Spotify. There are free and paid tiers of the newsletter, and paid subscribers receive podcasts seven full days before everyone else. You can also follow The Storm on Twitter and Instagram at Storm Ski Journal. Until next time, stay well, stay safe. I'm Stuart Winchester, and I will talk to you again very soon. The Storm Skiing Podcast is a Quicksilver Films production.